This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Hello, and thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. Today we're picking up in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. Over the last few weeks, I've shared uh, several bonus studies from uh, Bible classes and from Wednesday night Bible class that I've been teaching. I hope you've been enjoying those, and uh, we'll be sharing more of those later as I uh, present more of those lessons there at Ulaga. Today we're picking up Revelation 14, verse 8, looking at the uh, third section of, of this chapter, uh, which I have here, the second angel. Uh, when, we, when we were together last time, we covered chapter 13, going through uh, verse, going all the way through chapter 14, verse 7. You may remember last time we talked about the 144,000. We talked about uh, the first and second beast, uh, the beast from the land, and also the beast, uh, I believe, from the seas, what we covered as well. Uh, we talked about Satan being referenced as the dragon back in chapter 13. Uh, but today we're beginning in verse 8 of Revelation 14, uh, again looking at the second angel. And we're going to read through uh, verses 8, uh, verse eight, and then we'll look at verses 9 through 13 for the third angel. Verse 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the, of the wrath of her fornication. So there are two views here as to who is Babylon. Some say Babylon is Rome, and they are pictured as having already fallen, and that Rome's power over Christians was drawing to a close. Those of this view go on to say that because of Rome enforcing spiritual fornication and idol worship, she has fallen. The harlot had intoxicated and seduced the peoples of the world, which produced maddening effects. The fornication here is much more than physical lust. She is a seducing harlot, turning men away from God into immorality. The same wine becomes that which expresses the wrath and judgment of God upon her. Others, however, say that Babylon is the harlot of chapter 17 and verse 1, the great city of chapter 17 verse 18, identified in chapter 11 verse 8 as the city where the Lord was crucified. Thus they pictured this as the final fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. A different kind of good news is that Babylon, the harlot, has fallen. It cannot hurt God's people anymore. Still others simply say the forces which fought against the gospel of Christ are destroyed by its preaching. Rome seems to be the most fitting answer in this context, as Rome was the source from which so much evil came upon Christians. No doubt many commentators have different views on this verse. And I think when you look at some of this, uh, there's a lot of things that we can look at as being possibilities without going against Bible teaching. Uh, there's some things that are open to interpretation, trying to define what certain things are, like Babylon here in verse 8. But certain things, such as the Lord's return, reigning from Jerusalem for a thousand years, those types of things, the Bible is very clear about those things. And we have to make sure that we are we do not uh, confuse things that can be matters of opinion, things that may be open to some degree of interpretation, but we cannot apply that idea to everything. We cannot simply say, well, that's your interpretation uh, when it comes to matters of salvation. If someone thinks Babylon is Rome, that's fine. If someone thinks it's Jerusalem, that's fine. That is not what we would call today a quote-unquote salvation issue. Looking at verses 9 through 13, we have this, this fourth section 
here being the third angel. And so I'm going to read verses 9 through 13, then we'll come back and look at some of these things uh, more closely. So Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of, of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they, may, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. So this is the fourth section, verses 9 through 13. The judgment of God will, will be upon those who worship the beast, as we see also later in chapter 16 and verse 19. We need to think in terms of Matthew, 20, Matthew 10 and verse 28, which says, And do not fear those, those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In verse 10, we find the phrase, which is poured out full strength into the cup. This refers to the practice of drinking wine mixed with water. Other versions say, without mixture into the cup. In the presence of angels, meaning this would be a, a public display of God's wrath, much like that of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verses 10 and 11, we see the wrath of God is more terrible than that of Caesar. In verses 10 through 11. Uh, in verse 12, we find that patience is endurance. This means we are to hold out under great affliction. And we find in verse 13, this is one of the great beatitudes in the New Testament. You notice that the labors are works. Notice the labors and works. And Christianity is not a, is not a lazy person's religion. He says there in verse uh, 13, uh, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. We know many people who have been, who were faithful laborers for God, and after they have passed on, we can still look back at all the great things they have done, the great preaching, the great teaching, maybe the, the articles, maybe the books they've written, maybe just the sermons they've done, maybe just the simple impact they've had upon you. Well, friends, their works follow them. As we look at verses 14 through 16, we have the fifth section, the fourth angel. We have here in verses 14 through 16 the idea that judgment is coming. So let's look at verses 14 through 16. Then I looked, behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And an angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle, and reap, the time has come, for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he, so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So we see two aspects. It will be a harvest, the gathering of the saved, as we find in Mark 4, verse 29, and Matthew 13, 39. And it will be a treading, as we see the next angel in verses 17 through 20, and a judgment, as we also reminded in Joel 3, verse 13. Sitting on a cloud could symbolize the coming of Christ, but this is most definitely a judgment, or the reaping, this, this harvest is coming about. He says in verse uh, 15, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Judgment was coming. We know that, that depending on context, we're looking at the 
We some context is the reference to the final judgment. Some is a reference to a local judgment, a, a a single judgment that's coming very quickly, and that could be what's being referenced here in verses 14 through 16. As we look at verse 17, you have the sixth uh, sec, uh, section, the fifth angel, and this verse indicates that the harvest is ready to be gathered. Another angel came out of the temple, verse 17, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sharp sickle. So again, the harvest is ready to be gathered, which means the wrath of God is coming. In verses 18 through 20, you have the seventh section. This is the sixth angel, in verses 18 through 20. And another angel came out from the altar. You had power over fire. He cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel, so the angel thrust in, uh, thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Their winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for one thousand six hundred furlongs. The winepress symbolizes the wrath of God, as we also find it in Isaiah 63, verses 3 and 4. We find here that the uh, 1,600 uh, stadia, or the 1,600, uh, the 1,600 furlongs, as we find there uh, in verse 20, is equal to 165 miles. And this may symbolize the fact that the whole world is involved in this judgment. Another view is that the grape juice represents the blood which flowed during the Jewish war with Rome from one end of Palestine to the other. You also can compare this to Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. The devastation visited upon the Roman Empire and indeed upon all wickedness and wicked people. And so again, this is a judgment scene. Wrath coming, coming out, the wine press symbolizing the wrath of God and just the tremendous uh, wrath and, and the bloodshed coming out, the judgment that, as we begin, would affect the whole world. The whole world will be involved in this. You know, war affects a lot of people just because you don't hear about every war that's going on today. If we think about today, the battle between going on between Russia and Ukraine here in 2022. It uh, doesn't mean there's not other things going on around the world today. Some things are reported on, some things are not. Sometimes we just don't hear about it. It doesn't mean it's not going on. And it definitely can affect a lot of things. <clears throat> if you travel, do much traveling, especially outside the States, you'll, be, you'll start seeing where different conflicts affect different affect uh, everything going on around us. And no doubt, that's still true today. Uh, we think about Russia and Ukraine and various other things going on there. So as we conclude chapter 14, we find that Christ would come into the world to do his redemptive works opposed by Satan. A promise that Christ would bring salvation and spiritual power in this preaching of the gospel. The obedient would be able to overcome through the blood of Christ. And that Satan uses the agents of the world to bring to, to work against God. The gospel proclaims the judgment of the, of the Lord. And the conflict is, as a matter of observation, continual throughout the whole of Christian age the whole of Christian age. And so that is that the Christian is constantly waging battle against evil. We always are involved in this battle of good versus evil. And some would argue that point, but friends, it's very true. Satan is still active today, just like he was during the Old Testament, just like he was during the time of the, of the prophets and the time of Christ on the earth. He still very much is active today, seeking to whom he may devour, as the New Testament reminds us as well. As we look at Revelation chapter 15, 
We begin looking at various visions. You have the vision of the sea of glass. You have the vision of the angels with the bowls. And then you, uh, and uh, there in chapter 15. And so, and you look at chapter 15, it's actually one of the shortest chapters in Revelation, being only eight verses. And so let's go and get into this. Looking at verse 1, uh, the Bible says here in Revelation 15 and verse 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And so with these seven plagues, the wrath of God will be ended, as it clearly says there, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Looking now at verse 2. Here the Bible says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory of the beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, Sending on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So we look here at verse 2 the Lord would lead his people safely across this sea of glass, mingled with the fire, safely to the other side. Christians would be guided through the temptations and hardships to arrive safely at the Lord's side, much like Moses and the people in Exodus chapter 14, 21 through 31. This is a faithful's final triumph, victory over the beast. Harps is figurative of the praise of God, much like the bowls of incense that represent the prayers of the saints. So they are they are carried through these temptations and hardships, arrive safely on the Lord's side, and there they sing praise to God for their safe travels through all those temptations and hardships. Looking at verse 3, here the Bible says, again going along with what I just said, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. So these words exalt the righteousness of God, as we see in Exodus chapter 15, verses 2 through 19. These are also words drawn from the prophets and from the Psalms. It appears the faithful of both covenants are included. This is simply a hymn, again, a hymn of praise. Looking at verse 4, the Bible says, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. And so as we look here, excuse me, I didn't finish that. For all for your judgments have been, for your judgments have been manifested. I stopped too soon there. And so, in the final judgment upon evil, God will not only be acknowledged, but also his judgments are made manifest or made known. As we find in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Uh, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that finishes verse 4, and we want to begin now this, this second vision. That finishes the first vision, verses 2 through 4. And now the second vision, verses 5 through 8, uh, looking, at, uh, the, uh, angel, looking at the angels with the bowls, verses 5 through 8. We're going to read verses, uh, we'll, we'll break these down, I believe here we have these, I have these broken down just verse by verse, and so not... <clears throat> not multiple at the time. Verse 5 says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple, the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So the temple, the tabernacle, the testimony. This is a common expression in the Old Testament. The ancient tabernacle called this because it contained the Ark of, of the Covenant, inside of which the two tables of the law were kept. The words, and after that, is a formula that usually introduces in, in this book a new and important vision. 
In verse 6, And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure white, clothed in pure, pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. And so as you look here in verse 6, the seven angels dressed in pure white linen as the priests in the Old Testament and the ancient tabernacle. Also, this is the attire of the angels at the resurrection of Christ in Mark 16, verse 5, and Matthew 28, and verse 3. There is no question that this dress indicates royalty and priestly functions of heaven itself. Looking at verse 7, the Bible says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So one of the four living creatures uh, gives to the angels the bowls that contain the wrath of God. They are now given power to execute their work, as we see here in verse 7, giving them these bowls of, of wrath. <clears throat> Looking at verse 8, The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So the temple was filled with smoke. This figure comes from the Old Testament yet again. So we find it in several places like Isaiah 6 verse 4, Ezekiel 10 verse 4, Exodus 40 verse 35, and 2 Chronicles 7, 2 and 3. No one being able to enter in may symbolize that God's righteous purposes will be completed. This smoke seems to further emphasize the imminent judgment of God. The background for the bowls of wrath has now been completed. And in chapter 16, the bowls of wrath will be poured out. So as we look in chapter 16, and we have these broken down by bowls here in chapter 16. The first bowl, verses 1 and 2. The second in verse 3. The third in verses 4 through 7. The fourth in verses 8 and 9. The fifth in verses 10 and 11. The sixth in verses 12 through 16. And then as we get into chapter 16, we'll also talk about things such as Armageddon and verses used for the false teaching concerning Armageddon. And so we're going to look at a few of these bowls when we have the time here, and then we'll, uh, we won't get to the point of Armageddon today, but well, we will, uh, Lord willing, next week. So let's look at Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, looking at verses 1 and 2 for the first bowl. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So this first bowl, verse, verse 1, is a command of God, as we find also in back in chapter 15 and verse 8. It is like the sixth plague of Egypt. It is poured out upon men with the mark of the beast, as we see in verse 2. The judgments of the, tr of the trumpets were limited. Here, it is all embracing. And so he says here in verse 2, uh, it came up, He poured out his bull upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast. This was an indication of those who were given in, uh, those who had departed from the truth, and given in to idol worship and a host, really a host of other things as well. And then we have the second bowl, looking at verse 3. This, then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. It's interesting there in verse 3, it says, every living creature in the sea died, everything died. Uh, this again is symbolic, or figurative, I should say. Uh, 
this is like the third trumpet uh, brought the bitter wormwood to the, to the fresh streams and so on and caused partial death here though it's everything the angel praises God for his righteous judgments I'm sorry um, I'm looking at the wrong one uh, verse 3 I was, looking at the, I was looking at my notes for verses 4 through 7 verse 3 this bull resembles the second trumpet it is like the first plague of Egypt instead of a third of the sea becoming blood it all becomes blood and everything dies uh, now for verses 4 and 7 and I'm sorry I, I looked at my wrong spot in my notes verses 4 through 7 uh, you have the third bowl uh, where the water turns to blood uh, we find in verse 2 the, the, the he poured out, his, poured out his bowl onto the sea now in verse uh, 4 he pours out his bowl onto the rivers and springs of water so looking at verse 4 Revelation chapter 16 verses 4 through 7 then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another angel and had heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And so again, this third bowl, this is like the third trumpet, brought the uh, brought the bitter wormwood to the fresh streams and so on and caused partial death. The angel praises God for his righteous judgments. And in verse 6, they are church persecutors who shed blood. And in the enemy shall pay, and God is righteous and his judgments. As we see there in verses 4 through 7, he says, Therefore it is their just due. God brings out righteous judgment. Okay, let's look next at the uh, fourth bowl, verses 8 and 9. The fourth bowl. And I'm hoping to get through uh, verse 16. And that when we come back next time, we'll be looking at uh, Armageddon, setting up for that. Uh, but we'll see how far we get. Let's look at the fourth bowl, verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and, pour, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Verses 8 and 9, the fourth bowl. How sad it is that men are being punished by God, and they're still refusing to repent. Not much has changed today. This bowl resembles the fourth trumpet, whereas the fourth trumpet brought a plague of darkness over a third of the sun, the moon, and stars. Here the heat of the sun scorches with fire. Verse 9 introduces a response to the plagues. Those who, those who upon whom this bowl was poured out did not repent. Instead of repenting, they hardened themselves to curse and revile. They refused to accept responsibility for their evil doing and blame God. Verses 8 and 9. They refused to repent. How sad it is. Verses 10 and 11, this will be our final one for uh, today. Uh, verse 10 and 11, the fifth, the fifth bowl, darkness and pain. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. The blast, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and, and did not repent of their deeds. Darkness is the opposite of light, of truth, the opposite of the light of truth and salvation they became full of darkness and at some point in the past they still are full they are still full of darkness they became full of darkness at some point in the past and they're still full of darkness they became in sin refused to come out of it and they continue in sin 
All right, one more. Verses 12 through 16, the sixth bowl. And we have here, some say this is Euphrates dried up. This is the sixth bowl. Verses 12 through 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and it was, and its, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be uh, prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. Uh, mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth, of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of the great day of, of God, to the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they are gathered together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Uh, you know, it's interesting that we think about uh, some talk about the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is simply a place where evil, where this um, judgment, this wrath is being poured out. It's not an actual battle, and I'm not going to get too far into this because we're going to talk about this next time. Uh, but there's a lot of things that have been said about the Battle of Armageddon, and some have, <laughs> some have even said that Christ will come down and fight in this great battle. No. First of all, he doesn't need to. And second of all, th- there's not a battle like what they think they're talking about here. Look at, And so we look at verses 12 through 16. This may be drawing a lesson from Old Testament history, the fall of the ancient uh, Babylon here uh, before the before the Persians under Cyrus, in which the waters of the Euphrates was diverted so that the city could be overrun. John shows that the waters dried up so that they deceived the kings, uh, so, that, so, the, so they deceived the kings, uh, the seed kings can gather themselves for the great battle. The false prophet is the second beast of chapters 12 and chapter 13, verse 1. There, are, These are simply the kind of evil influences that will go forth in teaching and action. The Lord's coming will be as a thief. That means it will become uh, without you know, warning. Okay, we are going to stop there. Uh, when we come back next time, and and we really just don't have enough time to talk about Armageddon like I would like uh, with our remaining time. So when we come back next time, we will look at that topic. We will finish chapter 16, and then we'll get into chapter 17, looking at the vision of the great harlot and her characteristics there as well. So we're going, we are going to stop there today. When we come back next time, we'll begin. We'll pick up. Looking at Revelation chapter 16, uh, probably in verse, uh, probably verse 16 and following, looking at Armageddon and the things following there. So I do thank you for being here with me today. I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. I hope to see you again next time.